This is Dale Jr., and you're listening to Dirty Mo' Radio. This is Kerry Earnhardt, and you're listening to Earnhardt Outdoors, where the pavement ends and the dirt road begins. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Earnhardt Outdoors. I'm your host, Kerry Earnhardt, coming to you from the Exalta Studio. And we have a change to our podcast this year. But first, I'd like to thank Hank Parker Jr. for co-hosting with me last year and getting this thing off the ground. I really appreciate that a whole lot and uh, miss him this year, but he's had other commitments and he had to go home. So now joining me this season will be my brother-in-law, L.W. Miller. Wow. How about that? Yeah, uh, here I am. Real excited to be here with you, Kerry. Uh, you know, I like to mess and fun and, and have fun with you as well as we've done a lot of enjoyable outdoor activities together with hunting and all the different things we've done with family. And it's just really cool to be here on the Earnhardt Outdoors show and, and check out this Exalta studio and, and what an awesome job they've done. I guess I'm lucky because uh, last year y'all were a little more cramped I'd for say. space and Exalta's come in here and built them a awesome studio this year. So real excited about that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And it's uh, opened it up quite a bit. So a lot of space. Yeah. And so obviously some big shoes to fill for me following, you know, Hank on the show, but I think that, uh, with our, um, our time we've spent together in the outdoors and, and our antics that we've got going on together, and we probably can come up with some pretty cool yeah, stuff for so. the folks to hear I about. Think so. Yeah, I mean, Hank was pretty cool because he was just like us. He was just an average hunter, loved fishing, and uh, yeah, I, I think this is just going to roll right on in to what we've done last year. Yeah, so. absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Cool. So you getting in outdoors, how, how did that come about? Well, I was lucky enough to be born up in the mountains of northeastern Pennsylvania, up in a little county called Sullivan County, Pennsylvania, which is nothing but trout fishing streams, deer hunting woods, bear hunting woods, turkey hunting woods. So I grew up, you know, in the heart of, I mean, pretty much uh, our county kind of revolved around the hunting seasons. I went to the uh, uh, one, the one school that's in the county that I went to, which is the only school in the county. Um, you got three days off in deer season off school and you got, you know, pretty much if you wanted to uh, excuse any morning to come in late because you're out turkey hunting, that was acceptable. Wow. Uh, so I grew up in probably one of the greatest places, you know, to grow up as a kid who loves the outdoors. So I was just born right into it. My, my grandfather hunted and my, both of my grandfathers hunted and my, my father hunted and just, I didn't know any different. I mean, that to me, people talk about Thanksgiving. And when I think about Thanksgiving growing up in Pennsylvania, you think about deer season. I mean, that it's, we're a, a, a very strong traditional community where I grew up and, and you revolve around those, those seasons. So I was very fortunate. Yeah, you were. I mean, we didn't have any of that around here. We didn't have days off to go hunting and stuff like that. And <laughs> well, I'm we sure you just It wasn't them. an excuse. <laughs> I mean, trust me, I got a lot of uh, tardies and absence. So, um, yeah, I, I've had the privilege of, visiting Dushore where you're from and uh love it it's a nice place it's fun to be there and you know we get to go up there and hunt and fish and on your family land so yeah that's pretty cool sometimes we get to help you work on it like plant (laughs) plots we may not not sometimes you're gonna come up (laughs) and work if we're gonna you know that that i I try to get all the boys to go up there and pitch in a little bit uh you know we, we enjoy hunting up there but we also know that there's a lot of stewardship of the land that goes into making uh we have probably you know a very premier hunting area uh, location for the area uh, you know we don't have midwestern sized deer but for pennsylvania standards we have some monsters They're pretty close we put, a, we put a lot of work into it so i mean that's one of the cool things this year we can talk about is maintaining the properties and building better properties and 
there's a lot that goes into it, as you know, because you've been a part of all of it. And that's uh, uh, the the neat thing about where I grew up. I moved to North Carolina when I was 20 years old. So that was, I guess, 23 years ago. Oh. I've, I've been here. I've, I'm officially from North Carolina because I've been over half my life yes. here. But, uh, you know, growing up in it, I probably didn't appreciate it the way uh, the way I should have. Also, you know, you're a teenager and I was into cars and racing and all the other things teenager boys are into. So I, I didn't probably appreciate it when I lived there as much as when I moved away. And when I got to North Carolina, I think it really sank in what a, what a great place I grew up. And still to this day, I mean, you know, when Kelly and I first started dating and I took her up there, I was real fortunate that she loved the outdoors and she kind of just you know, fit right in. I mean, we went up there and she was, you know, that was her second home. So I've been very fortunate that, that all my family and, and our kids love going up there and spending time up there. And it's kept me, you know, to be able to be still have a, a close tie to my roots of growing up there. But yet this is my home here in North Carolina. So it's, we're fortunate, but that's, you know, that's how I got into it. My dad and my grandfather, we all were into it. And when I moved down here, I really, because I missed the, the outdoors part of the hunting and, and mainly the hunting, the fishing also, but primarily the hunting, I really became a, a hardcore student of, of hunting. And I mean, I read books. I got into archery hunting, which I wasn't in when I lived there. When I lived there, I was a gun hunter. Uh, got into bow hunting and, you know, read tons of books about bow hunting back. Uh, I remember when I moved to Mooresville back in 1993, there wasn't hunting DVDs. Right. And videos, you couldn't just turn on the outdoor channel and see anything about hunting. So the neat thing about Mooresville, one of the coolest things about Mooresville is when, when I moved here, downtown Mooresville had a little, like a newspaper shop. I can't remember what it was called, but they had, you could rent videos in there. And fortunately, the owner's brother was a hardcore hunter. So they probably had a full wall of hunting videos, which you just didn't see anywhere. Right. I mean, that way, I don't care if you were where you were in a country in, in, in the early 90s, you didn't, no. that was that was a huge find. Right. So I got to rent videos and watch videos and read books. And I mean, because I was away from it, I think I spent more time studying hunting and studying learning the land, you know, land management, uh, you know, hunting techniques and all the different things that go along with it. And it's actually, you know, I probably have enjoyed and gotten more involved because I haven't been in it every day. And, and obviously, after I got to know more people in North Carolina, I found places around here that we could spend time in the outdoors and go hunting. And then it morphed into going to the Midwest. I found it all through the Midwest, mostly, mostly whitetail hunting, archery. And then, uh, you know, still, and then a few years ago, actually, um, Dale Jr. and Martin Truex and myself all went together on a piece of property up in Ohio. And since I'm the low man on the totem pole for the investment standpoint of it, I get to do all the work. So it's been really an awesome experience to to manage our property we have up there and, and we're are going into our third season with that property and it's really turning into a you know a, a pretty awesome hunting. You know, Martin shot a, a, a 150 plus buck there last year, which is the first buck that we'd taken off the property that was a, a shooter buck. We'd taken one management buck prior to that. But other than that, we've really let them grow and it's been a cool experience. Yeah, it's pretty neat to you know watch what managing and preparing the land and feeding deer and everything what it creates and and what deer become. You know, around here in North Carolina, I thought it was pretty cool growing up. We all the lakes and fishing and everything, hunting a little bit. Now, you know, a lot of the land's going away, a lot of developments and stuff. So I lost a lot of places I got to hunt and a lot of places to fish. But it's neat to go to Pennsylvania where you're from and see how remote it is i mean I mean, you're you're out there 
around nothing. I mean, yeah. it, and it's a short drive <laughs> to town, and the town's not huge. I mean, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and that's the neat thing. Our cabin is is on the property that my grandfather actually uh, bought most of the property um, back in the 50s and 60s. And, you know, every time a farm would come up for sale that adjoined ours, we would buy it up all through the years up until, you know, as recent as now. Um, and we've got a real nice property built up up there. But you don't, I mean, the idea, you know, here you see a subdivision come in and you say, man, I think I yeah. used to hunt deer there. Well, I can't say that there's one place in, in our area of Pennsylvania where I can look out there and say, oh, I used to hunt there and I can't anymore. It's all still huntable, yeah. prop, you know, land. Um, one of the cool things, and I'm, I won't be right on the numbers, but it's there's like uh, 80% of our property taxes in, Pens- in, in, in Sullivan County are actually paid by the state. I mean, it's 80% of our county is, is, is public hunting land That's owned cool. by the state. So, uh, you know, if you don't own property, it's really not a big deal. I right. mean, you, you can, I mean, we're fortunate because yeah. we do own property, which helps us managing it. And that's the part I really enjoy at this point of my life where I'm at now. But on the same token, you know, you can just be anybody go to work and get home from work and, and within four to five miles from where you live, if you live in that area, you're going to, you can be in some state hunting land and you know that's it's really neat uh, you know like i said just big big tradition up that way i mean you got bear camps where people come and hunt bears during bear season and you know i mean i can remember my my grandparents uh had a hardware store and lumber yard when i was a kid and it was always closed on sundays except for the sunday prior to to deer season because our town was just it was like a, a boom town i mean it was like you know you look back in those little watch a western and you see a boom town when they find gold in the town and everybody shows up all at once and that's what happened to our town back in the the 70s and the 80s there was a phone booth one phone booth in town and there'd be on the saturday so thanksgiving's on a thursday the following monday would be the first day of pennsylvania deer season and so the guys would start rolling into town usually on friday some some prior to thanksgiving but usually you know people would stay home have thanksgiving dinner with their families and then they would come to the mountains and they all had cabins or camps or campers or tents or you know, stayed at hotels wherever they could, and they all came to to Sullivan County to hunt. And I mean, I remember on Sundays going in to help my grandparents at the hardware store, you know, because we were down on employees, we didn't want to make people work. So usually just the family worked on Sunday. And across the street at the phone booth, there'd be, not exaggerating, 50 to 60 men in line on Sunday at the phone booth to call back home and let, let, you know, let their wives and families know they were they were wow. made it to the mountains and they were there to hunt and just such a, it's, it's, cool. it's, it's, it's different now. It's not, yeah. it's not that way it anymore. And you've been up there for the deer season. So you've seen it still is, a, it's still, a, you know, an eye opener to somebody that hasn't experienced a small town come right. to life with deer season because it still happens, but nothing like it did back, you know, particularly probably in the eighties, seventies and eighties the most. So I was fortunate to see all that and experience all that. So here, just like you're saying, I mean, I, when I moved here 20 some years ago, the only thing I can say is I, you didn't see deer as often back then, and now with the lack of of habitat, right. now you actually see the deer. Now people say, oh, I, you know, there's six deer standing in that field. <laughs> well, they're standing in that field because they used to have, you know, a thousand acres right. next to it to live in, and right. that's all houses now. Yeah, so exactly. we, we've seen that, and, you know, I, I'm sure that that's this part of progression in, in, in the world. Uh, on the same token, it does change, you know. You, you I know in your case with the fishing, you know, you talk about, well, you know, I used to be able to fish over here, and now it's closed off to fishing, and right. you know, it, it's definitely, it's a little different here for it, sure. It is, and uh, you know, I hate to make the show about you, but I mean, you are new on the show, and there's a lot of new, neat stories that you have shared to me over the years. I mean, you had a lot of the Boone and Crockett records you got on your wall. The, you know, the neat story I remember most is the 
icon in archery is Fred Bear. Yep. I mean that was a pretty cool <laughs> yeah, story. That's, yeah, we well, I guess this we'll we'll do we'll do this first off show and we'll 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 kind of uh, centralize it around Sullivan County, Pennsylvania, because that was uh, so. And this was prior to me being born, but back in I think it was the mid fifties. <clears throat> um, my dad was born in '53, and my dad was a, a little kid, so it had to be sometime in the mid to late fifties. Uh, Pennsylvania had what they called the the Sullivan County Bowhunters Festival which back in those days was one of the premier archery events where, you know, vendors would come and Fred Bear, who had bear, built bear bows back in those days, would come to the, the Sullivan County uh, Archery Festival and, you know, the Bowhunters Festival. And, and that's, you know, about, I'd say it, it's in, that's down in Forksville at the fairgrounds, which is probably about, 10 miles or so from Dushore, which is the town where my grandparents had the hardware store Lumberyard, which they also sold sporting goods. So Fred Bear came by the hardware store when they were in town for the uh, Bowhunters Festival and met my grandfather and grandmother who ran the hardware store and uh, showed up. At that time, my aunt, I had two aunts and my dad, who would have been, a, a, you know, just a, must have been a real little boy at the time. And he gave each of them a bear bow. So he gave my grandfather a bear, an Alaskan he gave to my grandfather and he gave my grandmother, maybe it was a black bear and another one got a panda. Each of the kids, my grandma, my grandfather, and each of the kids each got a bow. And I ended up with four of the bows. I don't know where the fifth ended up, but four of the bows that Fred Bear gave to my grandfather just as a, you know, a, a support of, you know, happy that they were selling sporting goods and, you know, just to kind of show friendship, I guess. Um, and I have those bows in, in my office. So yeah, that the fact that I have a, a, a bear bow that Fred Bear himself gave to my grandfather yes. is a pretty awesome thing. And, and at that time, you know, our, it, archery was just, it was so small back right. then. Nobody even knew about it, and including my grandparents. And I think my grandfather hunted with his bow a few times. My dad, I don't think ever bow hunted. I mean, he had the bow and he shot, you know, things in the backyard and stuff like that, but never hunted. Um, so, you know, just Fred Bear out there in the 50s trying to promote bow hunting and giving away bows. And I'm fortunate enough to have yeah. one of those in I my mean, office. I mean, it's just a neat story to hear that and then, and then see the yeah. bows. And yeah, you yeah. Them no, to it's, you know, it's the, pretty cool. The more I got into, like I said, I didn't get into archery hunting until I got down here and reading about Fred Bear and learning about archery and how it became. And, you know, I, I realized, like, then it really sunk into myself. I was like, wow, that's, you know, I really have something that's that's awesome. So I, you know, I, I, I have that bow and I actually had it restrung. And I was going to try to shoot it. I always wanted to shoot a deer with it just to say I shot a deer with my grandfather's right. bow that Fred Bear gave him. And I uh, I chased that dream for about <laughs> one season, and I don't think I ever did it. And, of course, got the compound bow back out and, and hunted with that. But, yeah, that's uh, that's something that's that's pretty special, really. That's that I, I guess, you know, you take for granted all the cool things you've you've experienced, and that's one of them that I forget about. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So what are you doing anything – well, I know what you're doing. I kind of see it, but you have turkey season coming up, and you decided to go have shoulder surgery. Yeah, on your right shoulder to just shoot. Yeah, I, I've uh, so for about the past three or four years, I thought I was dealing with a rotator cuff issue in my right shoulder, and I had some exercises that a friend told me to do that would help build the muscle around your shoulder, so it would kind of buffer the rotator cuff. And I'd been doing that for well about three and a half years, pretty religiously, and that. It helped a little bit, I guess, or maybe it didn't. I guess, you know, in my mind, it helped more than anything. Um, and about last fall, I got where 
just really aggravated to shoot a bow, uh, lift up a bag of seed or dump, you know, fill feeders or anything I was doing, it would just, it would be aggravated. It would hurt for about a week after I used it for anything of any substance. And, uh, finally went and had an MRI done around the first of the year. And they realized that I had a, a torn upper bicep tendon, which had also come out of the groove and started fraying. So they said at that point, the only fix for that is surgery. And of course I'm thinking, wow, that's going to be terrible. I mean, surgery, I, it didn't really sink in at first. The more I thought about it, it's like, well, you know, they said it was a six month full recovery. And I started, you know, back in my days up from, from archery season thinking, well, at that point, um, I was going to, it, it would have been right up into the, to September would be my sixth month. And I thought, well, you know, that gives me a couple of weeks to shoot my bow before I go back to hunting. And of course you always think, well, if they say six months, I could probably do it in four months. You know, you always right. push you yourself always push a little it. harder than what they, what they tell you. So I thought, cause my goal at that time was to get through turkey season and then maybe go and get it around the middle of May fixed after I'd done some turkey hunting and I started, you know, Kelly sat down, we talked about it and she started reading up on the surgery and, you know, she said, well, you know, if you have one little hiccup and something goes as not planned, she said, you could end up not being able to shoot a bow next fall. So, uh, that was maybe on a Monday night. So Tuesday when I got home from work, had been, you know, run through my mind nonstop thinking about this situation I was in. And I went out in the backyard and, and I, uh, got my shotgun out of the gun safe and I took that shotgun out there and I shot it left-handed to see if I could shoot left-handed and still be able to turkey hunt and have the surgery, else, you know, sooner. And uh, I came back in the house, and she said, what in the world are you doing? She said, were you shooting a gun? I said, yeah. She said, well, what were you doing? I said, well, I said, I want to make sure I could shoot left-handed. I said, I did pretty good. I said, you go ahead and call tomorrow yeah. and schedule that surgery. So so I went and had it done uh, last week. And, you know, after well, I'm one week into it, and it's been a lot harder than what I expected, I I, in my mind, I had, you know, <clears throat> day or two of, of frustration, then I'll have it figured out and I can deal with it. And it's been probably a lot harder than what I expect. There's a lot of things that you don't think about right. using your right hand for that uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, I, I, I made sure I could shoot my turkey gun, which that was important. And I also made sure that I could even still use some turkey calls. Uh, you know, I can do my mouth call, of course, but I got my, my slate call out. I couldn't use that, so I got a box call out, and I messed around with my fingers to see if I could move them and use the box call, which it did work. So I thought I had everything covered because I was good for turkey hunting, but I guess I forgot about all the other things like buttoning my pants yep. and <laughs> and uh, keeping an eye I'm a person of habit. I keep my money in my left pocket, and I keep my phone in my right pocket. <laughs> And I can't tell you just how annoying it is just not to be able to keep my phone in my right pocket because I can't get to it. I know so you, so I know that's how uh, you Yeah, I'm, you, so. I'm, I'm very, I'm a person of habit yes, for sure. Yes, very. So. Well, that's uh, all right. Me and Wyatt can back you up. We'll yeah. take care of it for you. Well, that's what, you know, and honestly, that's some of the fun. I mean, you and I have turkey hunted together before. And, I mean, I think, you know, you've done the calling and I've done the I shooting. Tried. I tried. to do the <laughs> calling. I tried to do the shooting. And, you know, honestly, the fun of the turkey hunting is just the experience yeah. of it. and. Whether I could shoot a gun or not, I think I still would have went ahead with getting this thing done to be, hopefully be healed up for archery season. Um, I do have uh, plans to go turkey hunting the first week of April <clears throat> out to Illinois for a week and then hopefully going to do some Pennsylvania hunting towards the end of April and also um, Ohio hunting in May. So I'm going to do all that and, and just uh, shoot left-handed. The hardest part about trying to figure out how to shoot left-handed was... I figured holding the gun up and getting out was going to be the issue, and it wasn't. That was also easy, but I'm left eye dominant, so my whole life I've closed my left eye to be able to shoot right-handed because I have to have my right. left eye closed so I can use my right hand, my right eye because I'm right-handed shooting. 
And when I was, the hardest thing was like closing my right eye and keeping my left eye open, which once I got used to it, I actually don't have it. The cool thing is now that I'm shooting left-handed, I can shoot with both eyes open, which is a huge advantage um, because I am left eye dominant. So I'm actually shooting the right way for my, for my eyes. I'm just not shooting the right way for what I've done my whole life. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's hard to do when you change up like that. Yeah. That's what I, I mean, Kelly said, well, how was I? I said, well, honestly, I, I held a gun fine. I said, I just, I couldn't, I got, I couldn't get used to closing my right <laughs> eye and keeping my left eye open. Get you a patch. Yeah. That's what I could just, yeah. yeah. look like a, look like old Popeye out there. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. I mean, I can't wait. The you know, season's coming up, so it's going to be a lot of fun and, uh, hopefully we can find some time to go on a hunt together and maybe have Wyatt tag along with us. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, <clears throat> Wyatt's been fortunate to go on a few hunts with me, um, and I know you get to take Kayla hunting, so uh, it's uh, that's awesome to take the kids out there. And Wyatt's not to the point where he can shoot yet, yeah. but he sure loves just to be. He loves to be out there with Dad doing anything. You know, I mean, last year Uncle Robert and, and uh, that that'd be Kelly's uncle. He went with with Wyatt and I, and we called in a turkey and shot it and Wyatt or that was two years ago Wyatt actually was sleeping in the blind and I wanted to wake him up but I was I guess my my uh what's the word I'm looking for uh self-centeredness took over because I didn't want him to wake and scare the turkey away so I thought well I'm just gonna go ahead and shoot he'll wake up when I shoot and then he can enjoy it well I shot the turkey and uh you know I watched turkey make sure it went down and you know put focus back on Wyatt and he was down there sleeping laying right at my side in, in the blind and uh, he never even woke up, so slept right through the whole thing. So he, uh, you know, of course, if you if you ask him, and he probably tells his buddies that he's been on these turkey hunts yep. and shot all these animals. But I, 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 the truth of the matter is, he slept through more of them than he's actually experienced. Got, I think. I'm sure he's got some cool stories. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, we. Uh, I've got a couple of hunts lined up. One, I'm gonna take my daughter out. Um, we're going up. A friend of mine in Greensboro's got a bunch of land, so we're gonna go uh, opening days, April the second here for youth, and take her up there and try to get her on another turkey she shot one last year her first one and it was a pretty cool experience to be there with her and see all that happen and um so we got that and a couple of buddies we've lined up a f- couple of hunts you know down the road it's, it's usually between a two to three hour drive where we go so looking forward to all that and uh just trying to work on getting some places around close by where if you know one evening we want to jump up and take off. It's just a 20, 30-minute drive instead of a two-and-a-half-hour drive or something. So, Yeah, absolutely. I remember last year when you – I remember following, uh, you know, when you took Kayla and you were posting stuff on social media and I was keeping up with it and, you know, how proud you were when you guys, uh, you know, sat in a stand, what, for two full days or something and yeah. you know, sat in a blind and finally yeah. she got that turkey. So I think that was probably a pretty awesome experience for you. I know, you know, as a dad that yeah, had to be was. pretty awesome because – that's that is about as special as it gets. Yeah, and I got beat up because I made her use a 12 gauge because that's all I had <laughs> at the time. So right now I'm working on trying to get her a 20 gauge turkey gun put together and try to get yeah. her ready. Well, that you know, and and I've uh, the one thing about the shoulder surgery is it's um, gave me the the what do you call it free pass that you get at home with right. the wife to uh, get a new gun. There you go. So because I have to shoot left handed, I needed I wanted to get a gun that had a pistol grip so I could control it more just with my left hand and not have to rely on needing my right hand to do it. And um, so I've done a lot of research on turkey guns and, and looked online and talked to every, I think the guys probably at the uh, Bass Pro Shop uh, the window at the gun shop probably get aggravated because I'll come up <laughs> and want to ask 100 questions and then I don't walk away with anything. But the um, it looks like those 20 gauges now, we, we all should probably be going that's that like, route because it looks like they're some of the finest shooting turkey guns they have. They're light and mobile. So, I mean, that's a, 
pretty awesome excuse for you because you can get one for Kayla, yep. and then she's going to think she's a big girl, and she's going to want a 12-gauge, and then you're going to be just in time to be able to use that little 20-gauge and slip around. So that's that'll be awesome for you. I know that uh, I've met a few of your buddies that you've turkey hunted with on your hunt that you go on every year. I think we met, um, I don't remember the fellow's name, but he was uh, a gentleman you introduced me to at the Dixie Deer Classic yeah. that does a lot of calling for you when yeah, you go Tony up there. Tony Davis, Marshall Clayett, and Tim yeah. Bloodworth. Yep, so. I remember meeting those guys, and it sounds like a, a, that, that that's the type of the traditional type of hunting I grew up in. You got something to right. do every year, same bunch of guys, you go to the same place, and you know, I think that you all could probably attest to the fact that it really doesn't matter if you get a turkey or not. No. It's just about that, the camaraderie you have with those guys. And, you know, that's that's something that's just an awesome thing that you can be a part of doing that. Yeah, it's something you, you know, in life you can't really do without family and friends. So Yeah, absolutely. That's what, that's what we do. We build a lot of relationship and have a lot of good times and enjoy a week of hunting. Yep, that's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm looking. I'm, I'm excited about my turkey hunting, and I'm looking forward to hear your, your <laughs> stories of yours. And hopefully, in between all that hunt, we can let the wife let us slip out ourselves and go a couple yeah. times. <laughs> with I think each we other. can. I think we can. <laughs> yep. All right. So we talked about our hunting, but um, you know, a lot of listeners know about my racing background. Let's hear a little about yours. I mean, you, you came, grew up racing. I've seen some pictures of some street stocks and all kind of different things. So it's pretty cool and. It kind of leads into how you and Kelly met. Yeah. Um, you know, if it wasn't for racing, I wouldn't have moved to North Carolina. And, and if it wasn't for racing, we wouldn't be sitting here doing this right, right now and enjoyed all the wonderful things we've got to enjoy. Um, you know, in Pennsylvania growing up, uh, dirt track country, but my father actually was uh, involved in NASCAR modifieds, owned cars and crew chiefed cars and housed cars. So as a kid growing up, my dad always was involved in some way or another with some with a modified team that would run nascar modifieds up in the northeast and of course when i got to be about 16 years old i wanted to do something in racing but i didn't want to do it with my dad because you're 16 right. you want to do your thing right. so um i actually went dirt racing uh, my dad said you know he'd help support me and he gave me an old car that was the trade in monte carlo 79 monte carlo and he said i'll he said you and your buddies you strip that car and you get it ready and i said i'll pay somebody professional to ro <clears throat> weld a roll cage in there so you're safe, he said, but you're going to do all the work yourself and you're going to you're going to do it if you want to race. So I, I did. I uh, got into racing dirt street stocks and pro stocks uh, up in New York State and Pennsylvania and had some really good success the first few years and um, somehow convinced my dad to buy an ARCA short track car, which we raced out of Pennsylvania, <clears throat> like 12 races, I think, in 1992 or three, I guess it was 93, um, all the ARCA short tracks we ran. So we were running around in the Midwest and had some pretty good success there as well, um, which led us to the winter of 93 saying, hey, if we're going to do this racing thing, we need to get around some people that can help us and know what they're doing more so than, you know, what we knew what we were doing. And uh, I moved to North Carolina to to race in the ARCA series in 19, the winter of 93 and ran ARCA in 94 and got hired to drive a bush car in 95 and ran, uh, I guess, seven or eight bush races in 95 and I think six in 96 and then kind of fizzled out, didn't have the funding or couldn't get the sponsorship. We had uh, the racing part of it we had down and, and working on the cars and building the cars, but just never knew how to market, didn't know how to market myself um, more than anything and didn't have the right people to help me with that part of it. So I ended up working on cars, couldn't afford to race anymore. So I was a car chief for Dick Trickle through part of the 90s um, for Shoemaker Racing when he drove for the Duralube number 64 Bush car and we had some success, won some races and Towards the end of the 90s, I 
I really wanted to be driving. And with my dad's ties to the modifieds in the Northeast, we, you know, made a few connections and put a few things together. And I actually went modified racing, which is something that everybody figured I grew up as a modified racer because of my dad's background. But actually, I did all my racing prior to racing modifieds. Modified racing, I'd already been bush racing and arca racing and all that. So had some pretty good success in the modifieds, ran up north for a few years and came down here and I won uh, three um, Southern Modified Tour Championships, one under the, the Southern Modified uh, Tour banner, one under the ASA banner, and one under the NASCAR banner. So it was pretty cool to, to do that and won a whole lot of modified races once I got going through the, well, pretty much up to about 2008 or 2009, I'd, I'd won a lot of races. I think I quit racing in 2012 in the modifieds, and at that point, I'd ran a few truck races here or there. People would just, you know, knew me in the sport. And, you know, at that point, I'd made a name for myself in, in, in the South, in the racing industry, but it was because of the modified racing, really, and the success I had there. But at that point, I was, you know, too old to become a professional race car driver because at that point, everybody wanted a kid to drive right. race cars. And I think I was just one of those guys that everybody looked at, like, man, that's awesome. You run those modifieds. And I'd, at that time when I quit, I'd won more modified races than than any other driver had ever won on a Southern Modified Tour. So I thought that was a pretty neat thing. And we had Wyatt in 2012. And I, I think I saw 2012, we had him and he was about six months old or four or five months old when I quit racing. I just uh, had had enough of it between having a new little baby boy to take care of and 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 just where the sport was, I was just not enjoying it. So that was, uh, that was the end of the racing. But I had, you know, like I said, won some championships, won a ton of races and had a whole lot of fun. I mean, I covered a lot of different gamuts in the racing world and made a lot of friends and acquaintances and, you know, pretty much made my living racing and for a lot of years made made a, a good living short track racing, which is something That's that, something you, you know, most people aren't able to do. And, right. and, you know, so I'm super fortunate that that got me to where I am. And then, of course, Dale hired me. Um, I don't even know when that was, probably 2011 or so to manage his late model team. And then that morphed into... Ended up over here about four years ago at Junior Motorsports as the the director of motorsports, and pretty much the rest is history. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, like I said, you, you got to experience the Bush Series, the Truck Series, and everything, and you always went back to your modified, your your grassroots, and yeah, I mean that's that's just pretty cool way to end your racing career. Yeah, and and that was you know honestly, if I had never been able to go back and race modifieds and had the great success that I had. I've always would have felt like I just didn't accomplish what I wanted to accomplish in racing because I didn't. I mean, I right. I set out to be a you know a professional race car driver and I didn't accomplish it in the Bush Series and kind of went home with my tail between my legs and to come back and with the modified and have the success I had and I don't think doing it I necessarily even knew it was happening, but when you stand back and look back and look around and you talk to others and you're like, man, that's so awesome. I wish I was you. I mean, guys that were professional you know, Sprint Cup or Winston Cup right. drivers that would look at me and say, man, how awesome is that? You're so lucky. I wish I could be doing that every week and making a living doing that. And, you know, so that was a, a real neat portion of my life to be able to do that. But it's just, you know, we all know that we all have different different things we do throughout our life. And maybe when it's happening, you don't appreciate it as much as then when you look back and say, you know, I was probably at the time not happy with what I was doing. And then looking back, I think, man, how how awesome was right. that? And then I like think back a little bit more, and I I question myself, and I think you know what I actually was pretty happy doing that. <laughs> you know, maybe it wasn't where I yeah. thought I want where I, I I think I I I was where I wanted to be. I wasn't where I thought I probably should be, um, but I definitely was where I wanted to be. Yeah, it was pretty cool to see that, and you know I got to watch you race a couple times, and it was a lot of fun watching. But you know things happen in life that take us down these certain roads that we don't think in our mind are the right directions, but. 
here we are today and look look yeah. what we have. Yep, everything happens. There's a plan for everything. That's I it. think that uh God has a plan for all of us and it. it may not be what we think it needs to be or what our peers think it needs to be at the end of the day it is what it is and, and that's uh you know like i said i'm i'm super fortunate and thrilled to be able to experience every every bit of the things i've got to experience in my life well that's cool so well with all these, all these turkey hunts you got coming up if you see need i'm pretty flexible okay so just give me a call <laughs> and i'll help you out yeah well, i i I hear you talking, Kerry, yeah. but I also know I, I've done, been down this road with you before. What do you? How about? Uh, oh, I got rodeo. Yeah, uh, I know, uh, oh, I, know. I got rodeo. Rodeo's I, in the I way. I think that rodeo that comes off your tongue more than any other word. I, I hear know. I know you quit calling me about <laughs> going places, and I figured it out. So. No, but I know you appreciate. Yeah. I, know, I know you love that rodeo yeah, thing. We do too, enjoy so it. My daughter having a good time and lots of success with that. So it's yeah, enjoy. Absolutely, that's that. something. I think that that trumps being able to go hunting with your buddies when you get to go that's do something it. with your children. That's it. Like, Get your arm better and uh, get ready for archery season come September, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to do some trips together. Yeah, absolutely, and we can uh, hopefully some uh, some of the folks that are listening can uh, keep up with us online and see some of the maybe we can post a couple successful hunts wearing our true timber camouflage That's and holding right. up some big old long bearded gobblers. Yes, sir, we might do that. Well, folks, that's the end of our show, and I want to thank everyone for listening, and uh, we also want to thank Azalta for all they do for Dirty Mo' Radio. So be sure to go and follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Azalta Racing. And we also want to thank everybody for listening to Earnhardt Outdoors. If there's anything you want to hear us talk about, be sure to let us know via Twitter or Facebook at Earnhardt Outdoors. Thanks for listening to Dirty Mo' Radio. 